For more information on Ancient Dragon Zen Gate, please visit our website at www.ancientdragon.org. Our teachings are offered to the community through the generosity of our supporters. To make a donation online, please visit our website. This is going to get the talk. I'm going to give a talk. Um, <laughs> good evening, everyone. It's, it's nice to see so many people here. I really had not anticipated this. Um, but it's, it's really very nice to see so many people I know so very well. And I especially would like to just say how happy I am to see Amina Kane here tonight. It's in Chicago for a week from California. Amina is one of the founders of Ancient Dragon Zengate, and I don't mean that she was just here at the beginning. She actually signed some of the organizational documents, so we owe our existence to the pen of Amina Kane. Thank you very much. <laughs> Thank you. I'm so happy to be here. Um, I think I'm just going to end up uh, on some the notes I had tonight and speak from the heart a little more. Uh, hard to, it would be hard to put a title on it other than let's say it, uh, talk about the practice of zazen of non-attachment or the zazen of no gain. And um, the idea of no gain is very important in Buddhism. It's considered, it, there are three doors to liberation. Um, those are the doors of, of change, of signlessness, and of aimlessness, which is really no gain. So no gain is, an, is a very important part of our, um, of our practice. This isn't news to you, I'm sure, in your Zazen instruction. I'm pretty confident that you were told that in our zazen, we are just waking up to what is here, uh, sitting here, manifesting the reality of this moment, just being here in this moment, not trying to change anything, not trying to concentrate, not trying to have a clear mind, a quiet mind, uh, not trying to feel good or have a special experience, or gain some understanding, just sitting here with whatever is present to our awareness. So our surroundings, our body, our feelings and sensations, our thoughts, emotions, judgments, all of that. And that includes even um, because of who we are and the way our mind works, when we sit, we can have unpleasant thoughts, unpleasant memories. We can have uh, this old age sickness and death of people we love. And our practice is just to sit with those things and let them come and, and go. And if we don't attempt to 
change those things or manipulate them or control them. They have no roots. They have no foundation. And they will dissolve. They will go away. As soon as we we try not to manipulate them and control them so that they will go away, we've got to become engaged in thinking again. And we have a goal. We're not aimless anymore. And that's it's very likely to lead to anxiety and frustration because we can't control things. Um, we can influence them to some degree, but, but not too much. And all of this, of course, it, it's something different from everything else we do. I mean, everything else we do, pretty much in life, we have some goal, we have some plan. Every time we take an action, I'm going to do this so that this good thing happens, or I'm going to do this so that this bad thing happens, or I'm going to do this so this, uh, so the bad thing doesn't happen, I'm going to do this so that this bad thing in the future doesn't happen to me. So just being here is something different. Um, we have no technique. Um, you know, we become, we sit, and we sit upright, we breathe, the thoughts and emotions and feelings and all the rest of it come and go and come and go, and our minds being what they are, at some point, we reach out and grab one of those and get lost. We're not really here anymore. Or to the extent we're here, it's sort of in the background. We go, oh, yeah, I'm going to do this, and I'll get what it does someday. Maybe next week, I'll be invited at any rate. We've set up this duality between ourselves and our practice, ourselves and what's going to happen in the future. We're not here manifesting the present anymore. To the extent that we're aware of that, though, um, those unpleasant feelings are just, and even perhaps our attempts to even our plans to become enlightened or to feel better become just part of this moment. And if we say, okay, fine, not literally, but if we are just willing to sit with it, um, you're fine. You're not doing it wrong. If there's any way to do this, I'm wrong. You know, um, since it's so different from what else we do, it, it can be a challenge for us. Um, it's certainly a challenge to teach. At the beginning, it can be sort of sort of confusing. We will give instructions about sitting and breathing and just just being here and waking up, and we'll drift off. We'll come back, and and that's one of the things. It's not a technique. We can't make it. once we've drifted off. We become distracted. We don't make. We don't do anything to bring ourselves back. That just happens. Our mind. We have an intention. All we have is no technique, but we have an intention to sit here with whatever happens. And that includes becoming distracted. And gaps in our thinking come, and we come right back. Here we are. But we didn't do anything. There was no willed action that brought us back. Willed action comes when we just say, recognize that we're back. And we have the intention then just to be willing to stay here without attempting to control or manipulate, just leaving everything alone, just being here. So this is what Dogen, you know, called taking the backward step that shines light within and not thinking or not thinking, it's non-thinking. 
So not doing and not not doing, not trying to stop anything from happening, not doing, not thinking. And for eight centuries now, people have been trying to figure out what that means. <laughs> it's not something, you know, we could come up with some some descriptions maybe with the understanding it's in and Buddhism are very skeptical about uh, descriptions because they are going to be a misrepresentation they're going to be partial they're going to create the idea that there's something there that we're talking about like zazen that there's something called zazen and it's a steady thing and it's a solid thing okay you know, we could talk about something like the, we're sitting there in their thoughts, but we're not a thinker. We don't have the sensation of being a thinker. But, you know, uh, so if somebody who's receiving Zazen instruction can seriously and legitimately ask, well, okay, how do I, well, how do I do non-thinking? And you kind of, you know, it, it sort of makes you think of learning to ride a bicycle, you know, where You've watched people ride a bicycle and dad takes you out for the first time. Maybe you've got training wheels, maybe not. And dad says, okay, put, throw your leg over the seat, get up on the seat. I'm going to hold you here, put your feet on the pedals, now pedal and, and keep going. And, uh, and dad, and, and you go, that's all there is to it. And you, well, don't tip over. And you go, well, how do I not tip over? <laughs> and it's kind of be, well, you're going to work this out. You'll, you'll, you'll be able to do this. And that's really what Zazen comes to. We, um, you know, at the beginning, there's no, there's no question that when this non-doing and we try to refrain, we make an effort to refrain from doing anything, which, again, isn't a doing. But under the circumstances, we're aware of it. So... It really is non-thinking when we do that. And sitting with that, and with that effort that becomes a non-effort and a lighter and lighter effort, just sitting and coming back, sitting and coming back, sitting and coming back. So if you're drifting off, it's not a mistake. It's part of Zazen. It's how Zazen waits. It's the practice of waking up and being awake. Um, I had some other really deep stuff I wanted to say <laughs> about this. Um, you know, the closest thing I can think of for um, Sazen is just sitting, getting just forgetting something, and then remembering it again. And coming back is like remembering I'm here. And you can dispose yourself of that with that intention. You sit down. I'm going to keep coming back right here. And um, that's what happens. And it's fairly easy because the, our fundamental consciousness, you know, is really not bound up with sensations, perceptions, and specific things, or thoughts, and feelings, and judgments. It's this 
whole thing right here, this moment, this present, whatever is presencing to us and to our awareness, that's the whole thing. What happens is when we get distracted or when we start making an effort and we start trying to do zazen, we create this idea and um, we get caught up in the idea and the this projection we have of what the goal is that we're trying to project and how the method we're going to use to do it, like concentrating on our breath very carefully to quiet the mind and wake us up. And at the same time, once you have this object, you have this sense of yourself. And your awareness is essentially that. It's, it's me, my activity, and the result, or the object of my So, um, if we could let that go, we could recognize that, say, that's thinking, don't have to be bound up in that anymore. We will come back to this moment, to this opening. We awaken to whatever is here. If we do that for a while and the thoughts lose their, their foundation, lose their roots, they become quieter generally, they become quieter, they slow down, and we open up more and more and more toward the reality of this moment and this world, that moment. Open awareness is what Suzuki Roshi and other teachers call big mind. And it's what we become aware of this everything that is present to us would be big self. Small mind, small self is the mind that is caught up in thinking and intention and gain and emotions and desires and judgments. And small self is that sense we have of this constricted self that is thinking only about, here I am, uh, this is the action I'm taking, I'm acting on this for this result. And the problem with that, I mean, it, so this is a very difficult, different practice from what most other Buddhist meditation practices are. Those are usually most definitely doing something. I mean, doing something very, in a very active method Concentrating on a mantra, reciting a koan, focusing on the koan so that you have blocked out pretty much everything and the only thing going on is is this koan or your breath coming in or the mantra that you're reciting or you have a visualization of, a, of one of the mahasattvas, Tara, or Madhushri, Avalokiteshwara, someone like that in front of you. All of that takes a great deal of effort and a lot of practice, and you get better and better and better at it. This is not like that. This is just coming back to right here, coming back to right here. And whatever it is, coming back to whatever is present to you, that might be um, much reduced awareness. If I'm aware of my body and my mind, I, I'm sort of focused a little bit on that right now, but let it go, let it come back. I'm looking up. And this is, um, it's a, so it's a non-dual awareness. It's sitting here, the practice of 
be aware of your Buddhist meditation practices are. Learn this practice, perform this practice well, you'll have an opening or your mind will become very quiet. And then you're a deep samadhi, you'll be very calm and you will come to a non-dual awareness at some point. And our practice is from the very beginning. That's what we're doing. It's from the very first time you sit down. You have you have Zazen instruction. You sit down on your cushion, you cross your legs, you Roll your hips forward, you sit up straight, and you start to breathe. That's pretty much it. You can also add counting your breath. You can add just noting your breath, which is not a concentration practice. It's in a way, it's an anchor sort of to bring you back to this moment so that you don't just go flying into the ether of your thoughts and plans or memories, but just coming back and there's no problem. The problem comes, and it's the problem most beginners have for a while, is we don't really believe that. Our karma, our karmic conditioning is that we do things with a goal, with an aim in mind. And so we find ourselves thinking, okay, I'm having some sad thoughts, or I'm having a whole lot of thoughts, and I'm drifting away all of a sudden, and we kind of, you know, this doesn't feel very good, and you start drifting off and you go, okay, well, I better, I need to fix this. I need to control this. Maybe, what would that be? I mean, I, I have found myself, I mean, it could be frequently for me, it'll end up, you know, okay, I'll, I'll count my breath to bring myself back. But what I really end up doing is concentrating very hard on my breath. If I concentrate very hard on my breath. I'll calm down and I'll come back right here. Well, that's not how it works. All that work is getting in the way of being right here. And you feel... Uh, disappointment, uh, you may just become disgusted with the whole thing, you may get upset about it, and um, for that, I think it's good to, um, to know what Suzuki Roshi said numerous times in my, my beginner's mind is that when you feel disappointed, when you feel discouraged in your practice, you know that's a warning because you've been engaged in greedy practice, gaining practice, trying to get something specific rather than just being here. So it's a good thing um, to come back from the uh, wow, um, I'm feeling very tense now. I will just sit here. It doesn't mean the tension just goes away. It stays. If you've been sad and you're distracted in, in sad memories, and you come back, the sadness doesn't necessarily go away. And, and maybe that's one of the great challenges of our practice, too, is that we're not doing something to get it to go away. We don't have a method to get it to go away. Just we sit with it. Sit with it and be aware of it. And so our practice requires... Um, patience, and patience and endurance, as the Paramita would say, the ability to sit and wait, just sit with sadness or anger or even happiness, excitement, and it requires persistence. This is something we, we don't get better at. 
but there is a transformation, there's an evolution to our practice. So even if you feel discouraged or disappointed, when you come back and sit with that discouragement and that disappointment as part of this moment that you're sitting with, your attachment to this result, this attachment to this gaining practice, Suzuki Roshi would say, is now, it's part of the whole thing. It's now Buddha activity. It's non-attachment. And we are free at that moment from our greedy, greedy practice, our clinging And so um, those are my words. I'm going to read his words. When you're tired of sitting, when you're disgusted with your practice, you should recognize this as a warning signal. You become discouraged with your practice when your practice has been idealistic. You have some gaining idea in your practice, and it is not pure enough. It is when your practice is rather greedy that you become discouraged with it. So you should be grateful that you have a sign or warning signal to show you the weak point in your practice. At that time, forgetting all about your mistake and redoing your way, you can resume your original practice. This is a very important point. And a corollary to that is um, this one, Suzuki where she explains how that weeds can become fertilizer. So our greedy mind, our, our, our emotions and feelings and desires that come from our clinging and attachment to things and results, all of those, when we become aware of them, will dissolve into the awareness of this moment and nourish our practice. So, I certainly have a lot of experience with that, and I guess most of you do too. And I'd be happy to hear what you have to say about your experience with that. Thank you. Simone. It definitely resonates a lot. Thank you when you say that it becomes you know, an attempt to control or do something with the breathing because I find myself sometimes to think that I need to improve the breathing. I need to use some sort of counting or like certain pace and some change of speed or stop. And then I'm like, ah. <laughs> but it, it also made me think of when I can't fall asleep on real occasions, it may happen that for quite a while I can fall asleep. I'll try all different possible ways to fall asleep and techniques. And then I'm probably like, oh, I'm just not going to sleep. <laughs> <laughs> so it resonates a little bit uh, with, with kind of like, I'm done, whatever. And then it works. I just want to sleep. I had the same experience when I'm sitting, thinking, okay, just I, I can't stop this from happening. I'm just going to sit with whatever happens, 
the challenge is for me to do that, just to relax into the moment without falling asleep. <laughs> can, can you say more about the difference between intention and goal? Uh, I think an intention, intention, a goal certainly has a certain amount of desire. And I think that in, intention can be um, I'm just going to sit here. It's not trying to achieve a result. In fact, I'm just, it's more like you just say, I'm, I am sitting here, or this is it. I think that sometimes it can be helpful just to have that little, little verbal acknowledgement. This is it. So there's a connection between intention and attention? Well, a certain amount of attention is required for intention. Yeah, we'll let the psychologist. <laughs> and vice versa, a certain, yeah. amount of, a certain amount of the opposite, whatever it was that you said. Um, but I, I wanted to um, thank you for a great talk on that and just... I think um, reflect my appreciation that I think you touched on what for me is really the central problem, which is that willingness to let go of the continual grasping and craving and, and holding on to things. Um, for me, it's it's that willingness to let go of my, you know, wherever my thought stream was going, just to let it go. And um, one thing that helps paradoxically it can for me can be sound um it's something that happens um like if you're sitting outdoors or you know here when we have the windows open you can if i can sort of just you know sit and let go and and, and pay attention to the sound for a little bit i realize that i'm like okay you know it's it's something that's captivate a little bit captivating um, so it's, it's like a little crutch, but it's also something that you can then kind of, kind of let go of. Rain is great for that. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, cicadas. Cicadas. Cicadas yeah. are very good for that too. Yeah. But I, last night I was flying back from Albany, New York, where they were having a horrible, severe, you know, thunderstorms and our flight was very, very turbulent. Um, and I, I always think that, you know, I'm going to die. And so I just sit there. I, you know, if I'm, I kind of feel like, you know, if I'm going to be in the bardo in the next second, I definitely don't want to be like reading or playing to I want to just be present. So, um, you know, I kind of put aside everything and just, you know, just sat there and it just felt like there, there are times when that's really all you can do. Mm-hmm. And that this was one of them because I, I couldn't, you know, I don't know how to fly a plane. I couldn't, there's, there's just nothing. So if this is it, you know, it's just, let's just be present with it. And, um, and, and that, you know, that's, that's compelling as well. I think it's, it's, um, there, there are times when it's easier to be present than, than others. There are times when, you know, life just captures us in the moment. Um, and it's harder during Zazen, but if we have some experience with, the times when we are present, it starts to feel easier yeah. to bring it into zaza. And it just it, you know, you know what part of you needs to relax. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think. Um, and when we're off the cushion, you know, it's not the same thing as zaza. 
because if zazen is essentially no set an intention at the beginning, but it's not moment by moment, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this, I'm going to breathe, whatever. But in, when we're off the cushion, living our life, we have to make, we have to think, and we have to make decisions all the time. But I think that we become very, through Zazen, we become very aware of the grasping attention, attention, the desire and craving attention. Where we're really focused on something and there's some, some desire attached to it. We want something out of this. And let that go. Even when we're you know, in, in active activity, we can do that. Well, you have to get you have to become familiar with it and aware of it and familiar with it. Yeah, and, can let it go. And that's why, you know, traditional monastery chores like chopping vegetables and sweeping are are great. I just have a, a question, a couple questions actually, but one that came up for me initially was what's the difference between vow and intention as you're discussing it, like the bodhisattva vows and goals, like sounds like there's a goal there. Beings are numberless. I vow to liberate them all. So I don't think that, I don't think that Bodhisattva vow is driven by desire. Mm, how do you know? You'll have to tell me about <laughs> your vows. <laughs> I think I, I think that there is not an intent to gain from the Bodhisattva vow in the in the. In, Activity, if it's truly for others, if it's not, oh, I'm going to do something nice for people because that's what spiritual people do, and would I be a good person by doing this for someone? But doing it, it's different. So I'm going to help this person because they need the help. I'm going to be a bodhisattva because they're suffering beings. And I think that our practice of zazen makes that easier um, because, you know, um, being present in this moment is being present with other beings without separation from other beings. I think there, it's easier to feel um, to be uh, responsive to the suffering of other beings as a result of this. But bow isn't necessary for suffering. Well, it's I think it's it. I think people can do zazen. I think that a vow will come out of zazen. I think it's good to have the vow. Um, I will be here with other beings and for the benefit of other beings. But while I will make that vow, I still wonder, you know, how this is going to lead me to help other beings. So <laughs> it's a practical matter. I, think, I certainly feel that as a result of Zazen, it's easier to feel connected to other beings and responsive to their needs and suffering. Um, I think, I think, you know, it, we're, it, I'm splitting hairs, but I think there's a difference in tone depending on how you approach it. I'm going to sit Zazen and that will lead me to be responsive to the suffering of other beings. 
maybe that's a little different from saying I'm going to do something because I want to help other beings. I don't know. I'm not sure there's a real difference there. Yeah, I mean, sometimes, you know, it's certainly part of our, our mental makeup that if we've got a word or a sentence for something, there must be a reality that it applies to. So, I'm not sure by taking the bar, how, you know, there's some sort of set intention, but I'm not sure how firm that is. I work better face to face with other beings than in the abstract. You kind of said it um, earlier in what you were saying um, that we can have an intention that comes from us, but I thought you were saying something about how the vow is like larger than us, and it's not fully within. It's not fully within our control. It's not. You know, it's something that maybe meets us also. It's not it's not just our intention. That's it. Can you say some more? That's an interesting one. No, you're the one who said it. <laughs> no, I don't think I said it quite like that. You said something much more interesting, I think. So. Well, I you know, it's like like Zazen does us. Um, yeah. I think maybe a vow is something that um, that does us over time. We we maybe have an intention to make a vow or follow a vow, but but I think maybe the vow um, is more than the intention. Well, and maybe Zazen in a way is itself vow. Um, a vow to be open to the world, take care of the world. That certainly flows from the I mean, I think because the vows seem paradoxical, I think that's like it's beyond. You say taking a vow, like it feels more really like giving a vow. Like, it's just, I don't know, I think could it be observing from the outside these discussions? It's more the necessary step of like when you give up controlling the breath, like given how things are, like surrendering. Mm -hmm. Yes. So I really like the metaphor of a plane flying through turbulence. Because <laughs> <laughs> it fits on so many levels. Like, in order for a plane to fly, it has to be going at a certain speed and it has to have a certain amount of air going across the waves so that it generates lift and it's going to fall right out of the sky. But in the process of falling, planes gain speed and then gain lift and naturally pull up. Not always, obviously. Sometimes they just the ground. <laughs> but the whole the whole act of like letting go is kind of like okay. So I watch a lot of documentaries about airplane crashes. <laughs> a lot. A lot of the time when they crash, it's because the pilot doesn't trust the autopilot. 
to react to the circumstances that are outside the plane. And he tries to take control, and then they overcompensate for what's going on, and then they crash. So, for me, I think Zazen is kind of like, like, let the autopilot take over. Like, it's, it's, it's better than I can do, just like, the vow is getting on the plane and being in the air. It doesn't matter. Like, after that, you can't stop. You're already, it's, it's already happening. It's just trying to continue the lift and trying not to crash. Mm. Like, like some people talk about Zen students as Zafu riders. <laughs> <laughs> so that's all you have to do is ride the Zafu and keep the cushion warm. Well, I think that means you want a Zen pilot. 